0: Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a writer, carpenter, and land steward. He's an Afro-Canadian, born and raised in Ottawa, descended from Trinidad and the British Isles. In the Upper Country is his first novel. I'm, of course, talking about Kai Thomas. Kai, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Adam. Of course. um, Your book, In the Upper Country, is a historical novel. There's a lot more to it. It tackles a lot of themes. um, But I'd love to hear from your perspective what In the Upper Country is about. Sure. Uh,
1: In the Upper Country is a novel that follows uh, a few days in the life of this young woman, whose name is Linda Cinda Martin. And it's set in mid 19th century, uh, underground railroad community, uh, a community at the terminus of an underground railroad. And this young woman, Linda Cinda is a journalist, a healer, uh, uh, somebody who works for this prominent family in town, and she gets called to investigate the murder of a slave hunter that happened on a nearby farm, and ends up in this process of interviewing what she thinks is interviewing uh, this this old woman who uh, who murdered this slave hunter, and they kind of exchange tales and stories as a form of currency. Um, and And it's in this exchange that the novel kind of emerges. And so that form <clears throat> I guess allowed me to explore a lot of the themes and historical moments that i was that I was interested in, so namely, you know underground railroad, uh, sovereignty for black and indigenous people mm-hmm. in this time period, uh, especially as it related to, folks' relationship with land and what that looked like and how land could be, a um, a relationship with land could be a vehicle for sovereignty. Um, As well as, you know, we dip a little bit into this earlier period of the War of 1812, which I thought was a super interesting period. It's kind of this war that doesn't get uh, or gets talked about in very certain mm-hmm. terms. You know, nobody really knows what it's about, especially in the U.S. But in Canada, we learn about it in school because this was supposed to be the time that Canada, even though Canada wasn't a, a, an independent country yet, it was supposed to be this moment where uh, Canada distinguished its identity from the U.S. You know, uh, we we defended against the U.S. invaders by you know French and English and Indigenous people banding together and forming this kind of nascent pluralist identity in canada that makes us different Mm -hmm. from the us and when you look a little bit deeper into it there's just all these interesting um little known aspects to that history that i was interested in um shedding light on in 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 this novel and so um but yeah that's that's kind of Mm -hmm. what it's about that's that's uh those are the topics that i was that i was interested in and diving into through this, through this narrative
0: yeah i i love the the premise of the two talking and sharing stories and i'll get more into the um structure of the novel in a little bit but i'm curious was was like storytelling always a part of like your and your family life were you a big reader a big writer as a kid
1: definitely a, a reader uh you know literacy was really important for my family particularly is something that you know i learned how to read with my dad mm-hmm. um he he was an english major and they didn't pursue that as a career but you know teaching me how to read and how to uh, write was something that, like i remember being you know four years old just crying mm-hmm. just like having a complete meltdown because i didn't want to be doing that but that was something that was like you know really really important um for for him and even though you know it had those uh, have those associations with it or those memories uh, with regard to reading and literacy it, it truly did become something that I learned to love and it became a place of sanctuary to be able to read and get lost in a book um, to be able to reflect on you know stories uh, and then eventually to kind of choose my own uh, or identify what what genres and what types of stories I was most interested in and inspired by, so um, so yeah, it's, it's it's in that sense it's been a, a part of our legacy. It's not necessarily that you know stories telling in my family was you know a, a career or a mm-hmm. established tradition in that sense. Other than you know families like to like gossip about other family members and like to uh you know um identify you know who's a character in your Mm -hmm. life and talk you know in in that sense but
0: yeah Yeah. no for sure yeah and and because what i love about this book in particular it if you and you've talked about all the different threads you pulled from the war of 1812 the underground railroad underground railroad terminus um land sovereignty um were those always topics that like, you were thinking about? Like, I mean, were you a, a War of 1812 super fan when you were a kid, or were, were these topics that came up later in your life that you really started becoming interested in them?
1: Yeah, it's uh, not. No, I was not a super fan. <laughs> I, I was always interested in history for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, I, it, it wasn't something that I even really pursued academically until it came time to write the book, and I was like, okay, if I'm going to write about this, I have to do some substantial reading and, you know, talking to people, talking to historians, talking to elders and knowledge keepers who you know, hold communities, histories of these, these moments in time. Um, I think the reason why it really um, piqued my interest to identify these topics in this book was because I was interested in fiction and in historical fiction and I was reading, I didn't see, I, I started to notice the, the themes and the uh, the historical moments that I wasn't seeing represented. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think, you know, in this book and in, in my writing in general, I'm, I'm very uh, motivated by, you know, what, what, what hasn't been written and, and why. And often that's a really interesting reason why, you know, certain topics haven't been, um, haven't been robustly represented in, in literature in this case, right? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, then you just follow those reasons, and you know, they take you to interesting places. And so that it was that kind of that, that kind of process. For example, uh, the one of the first images that I saw that really uh, inspired me to begin this 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 book is um, I was. In an art history class, uh, which is not what I was studying, but I was just—I thought it was an interesting class Mm -hmm. uh, in in, in university, so I took it. Um, And um, I came across this photo, uh, this kind of mid-nineteenth-century photo of an elderly, appeared to be black man, um, sitting with a cane, and it was taught. It was—it came up in the context of learning about photography as uh, a form of self representation, in particular for marginalized people who, at this moment in time, you know, mid 19th century, that was the first time ever in history or especially in the in the in the Western world where black folks in this case could represent themselves as an image, because previously portraiture was, you know, it was something for the elites, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So this this photo was, like, significant in that it was, like, one of these early photos where people were getting to represent themselves. Um, so it was, it was interesting in that way, and then I started to read about his story, come to find out this man's name was John Daddy Hall. Daddy was his nickname, because he had many, many children. He was of African and indigenous descent. He was born in what's now known as Canada, uh, in an Indigenous community, fought in the War of 1812. But one of the prominent uh, Indigenous leaders of that war who was aiming to create a sovereign Indigenous nation that would have expanded between, you know, what's now Ohio all the way up into Canada. This is a moment in time where, like, the geography of what we know of, this mm-hmm. land could have been completely different. It could have looked completely different if certain promises had been upheld and certain agreements had been upheld. So John Daddy Hall fought you know, for indigenous folks in, in, that, in that war, was captured, was enslaved, survived decades of, enslavery, of, of slavery, uh, eventually escaped and helped form one of these towns that was at the terminus of the Underground Railroad, which is Owen Sound. Uh, it's on uh, the coast of D- Georgian Bay. And Ontario is a very vibrant community. They have a emancipation festival every year. It's really wonderful to, to go and see and visit. Anywho, I'm reading about this guy. He lived to be like 115 years old. Uh, he didn't die until 1900. And so I'm just, there's just all of these kind of mystical, uh, interesting elements to his life. I'm like, you know, why haven't I heard about this this person, you know, especially growing up in Canada, you know, why haven't I heard about this time and these dynamics, you know, black and indigenous people in the 19th century forming alliances, you know, intermarrying, forming communities like this is this is interesting stuff. Um, and so, you know, it was moments like that where I would come across a story such as that and mm-hmm. and really feel like this this merits, uh, you know, attention and research uh to really uh bring to life you know this 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 period and these and these uh these themes
0: yeah as you were talking i was just looking up john daddy hall and it's it's interesting because i feel like today's youth and maybe i'm misrepresenting them but if they don't have a wikipedia article i don't think the kids are reading about people or events and like there's there's articles about john hall not that quick. Wikipedia links, and and I don't think we would ever be taught him in America, sure. at all. Period. And and that's why in the upper country was so fascinating to me because, like you said, why aren't these stories written in literature widely at least? um And 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 yours felt like a historical fiction or just a book in general where I I learned a lot in addition to the writing being really well, like well done. Um, the story explores all this through these two women who are sharing stories over a very brief amount of time. How did that become? How the story, how in the upper country was going to be told? Yeah, that kind of uh,
1: that setting emerged relatively late in the writing mm. process. Interestingly enough, uh, yeah, which I think speaks to you know how thematically driven mm-hmm. uh the process was you know it like <clears throat> it was i had identified you know certain scenes and c- certain themes that we've kind of touched on and um yeah the setting came came about just by reading you know and yeah and and reading about uh instances in you know uh the the 1850s in particular, 1850s is like a key time because that's when the fugitive slave law went into effect in the Mm. US, which meant that all of these folks who were escaping slavery in the northern states could no longer guarantee their safety in the northern states because uh, it was a law that deputized anybody and incentivized anybody to return them to, to -hmm. enslave as long as they were within the country. So, all of a sudden there's this huge rush, there's this 10-year period, you know, or 15-year period in between fugitive slave law and um, emancipation in the U.S., where Canada just gets inundated, right? Um, And so there's just all of these, like, mentions that I would find in, uh, you know, different history books of, like, um, you know, not only these communities that were forming that no longer exist, many of them no longer exist, some do. But then these instances of like what happens when a, uh, a previously enslaved person is running away and they have to hurt or kill somebody who's hunting them? It happened a lot, uh, a lot more than you know, I've seen represented in 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 literature. Uh, there's cases, there's there's legal cases in Ontario, for example, of uh, of a man who uh, was. Charged after the fact with the murder he had to commit upon escape. And so it just brings this really interesting uh, legal precedent at the time, where it's like, what do you do with that? What are the reactions to that in Canada and the US? You know, and you can imagine, you know, the the, the divide there uh, between how do you moralize, uh, you know, investigate how do you morally deal with. That type of a quote-unquote crime, mm-hmm. and that just seemed like such an interesting uh, premise to me, such an interesting question. And so, at the point in time where I was reading about that case and um, you know all, all of the the context of it, uh, did it did it really seem fitting to have that um, that setup be mm-hmm. the one in which these two characters? Un- un- unveil, unveil yeah. their stories
0: yeah and, and what did the earlier versions of this look like what did the book look like before you kind of found this this version of what it became it was a it was just a mess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quite simply you yeah. know
1: it's like I had you know I, in my head I was like okay this all fits together somehow and then you know that's, that's where you know having really uh you know, good readers and editors really came in for me. Is you know, learning myself how to solicit and take feedback, mm-hmm. uh, learning how to distinguish because you know, I uh, you know, earlier drafts of the manuscript I give to friends and mentors, and you know, either they wouldn't get through it because they'd be like, "I'm confused of this, this, and this," mm-hmm. or you know, would come back with you know, recommendations or ideas of how to. Tie it together. It's very fragmented. To answer your question, yeah. it was Beginning as this very fragmented kind of series of scenes and 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 chapters. And through you know a couple of years of uh, yeah, of, of, of taking feedback and of editing and rewriting, did it uh,
0: kind of get massaged, licked into mm-hmm. shape? Um, yeah. Oh, one thing you were not on the internet much no social media right no, um and so normally i like get a decent background before i even talk to someone you're a mystery to me um you mentioned mentors <laughs> did you do an mfa program did you go to school for writing I Did okay yes. okay yeah yeah i did an mfa
1: program at uh university of guelph
0: so there was uh, there was some yeah. there was a writing okay cool, cool okay. yeah and and because yeah your your bio that is like sense is you are you this is your first novel you are a carpenter you are land steward and, and no mention of anything else And I was like this is an interesting Kai Thomas is a mystery to me um <laughs> and I like that yeah though. it's strange in this day and age to <laughs> not be on social media yeah at a certain point in my early
1: 20s I just made a decision like this doesn't feel like it's serving me and Mm -hmm. and try and focus on other things there's plenty of things that i get distracted by during the day i just don't need i feel yeah but yeah it may be a a, an oversight to to fail to mention the mfa It's definitely a really formative experience in terms of Mm -hmm. my writing you know like i had some scenes that i had developed prior to that and the great thing about that mfa program as with some others out there is um not only did they have great mentors and great staff and I got to learn how to do peer feedback at workshops, mm-hmm. but also, uh, they, they set it up so that your thesis is something creative. It's not like an academic analysis mm-hmm. of other work is, you know, your thesis is your, is your book. And, you know, even at that point, it, requ- it took another year and a half at least to keep working and re- rewriting it uh, to get it to the shape it's in uh, currently. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was yeah. the program I did. Very grateful for it.
0: Yeah. And the one last theme I really want to tackle, you know, you mentioned how the idea of, you know, slave hunting, that became part of it. But the idea of land um, and and and, and especially with, when it deals with indigenous people from Canada, from America, which weren't called Canada and America, right? That's not a thing when did that start to interest you in your life? Because it's something that's like really come up in the past, like five, 10 years for me, like how land has been shaped and how people have found their place on where they, they come from. And that's, I really connected with that, like aspect of this book. Was that something that was in your mind for a very long time? Was it something that came in later? Yeah. Just, I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my life. That's, that's what I do most of the time. You know, even now I work, full-time, you know, uh, doing carpentry, but also just site work, Mm -hmm. grounds, work, grounds maintenance, uh, here at Soulfire Farm in upstate New York. And prior to that, I've worked for many years, um, on the grounds of a summer camp for inner city kids in Mm. uh, near Montreal Mm -hmm. called Camp Amy Molson. And I helped develop a, a farm and wilderness camp program at, uh, at the farm that I was involved in there, Young Roots Farm. Um, so, yeah, like for the past 10 years, you know, like that's been my life. And for me, it was really important. You know, for me, I was drawn to the career of, you know, working with land, doing, you know, small scale farming, growing, learning how to grow food, learning how to teach those skills, uh, learning how to, you know, build, um, interact with nature in uh, you know, sustainable ways for me that was important because that that's where i find my sanctuary and my my healing and you know uh escaping almost from from the uh, an urban environment where you know in montreal specifically at the time like i i straight up didn't feel safe you know i'd been profiled by police so many times uh especially as i came into like a young man's body like, like mm-hmm. a man's body you know it just it just changes the game in a way where I was like, I don't wanna deal with this. And, you know, I don't wanna um, act like it's that simple to escape, you know, racialized violence. It's mm-hmm. not, um, but in terms of for me, you know, where I can come and feel uh you know, solace and, and peace. And it goes beyond escaping. It's it's really, you know, at a certain point it becomes a, a career and a way of life and all of these things, but it's been really powerful for me and for the people I've worked with, I've seen, you know, the, the health that it can bring to other people's lives as well. And so that's, that's what I do um, in my, with most of my time in my day to day. So yeah, absolutely. That, that really, it needed to, it, you know, it needed to be part of the book in that way because it's what I think about in so much, so much of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of, you know, uh the the relationship to indigenous people um you know when i when i was writing and kind of reflecting on you know how did i how did i come to you know work with land there's a few really key moments in my life where i was you know just getting introduced to the idea of of doing land-based work and it was uh it was indigenous folks who really Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, friendships, relationships, working relationships with Indigenous folks who kind of welcomed me to land. You know, uh, in a way that was very powerful for me, very meaningful. Um, uh, going, uh, yeah, just spending time in, uh, uh with friends in Six Nations, uh, uh Ganyangahaga Land, Mohawk Land, and you know, it's now Southern Ontario, that was like the first time I felt like, wow, this is a, there's a place for me, Mm -hmm. you know, to a certain extent in, in this lifestyle. And, um, and so, you know, I was thinking if I had that experience, you know, where, uh, this, this was, this was my, my introduction and my, uh, uh, my step into into this world, I, I, I can't be the only one
0: mm-hmm, who
1: mm-hmm. You know, over the course of the years. And so um as I started as I continued reading and reading about folks like John Daddy Hawes, like, well there's there you go. You know, it's a perfect example. This has been happening for a for a long, long time. And I think, you know, at this moment in literature, I just listening to conversation, there's a lot of conversation about how to write across race and how to re- write a character who has a completely different Mm -hmm. um, either racialized or gender experience than your own. And I think there's a lot of caution around that and there should be uh, because there's so much complexity to, Mm -hmm. you know, the ways that uh, your identity shapes your experience, right? Uh, It's not, not to be understated at all. Um, And yet, you know, this, this book, it, it, this book had to be about that. And so I, I just did my best to do my homework, you know, talk to people about their experiences, read, uh, indigenous, uh, authors, read indigenous historians, and talk to indigenous faith keepers, uh, and, and knowledge holders and, um, and, and then and, and, and start to write, you know, I had a really important mentor along the way, uh, Wab Rice, Wabishik Rice, is a novelist, a really talented novelist at that, and journalist uh, who, you know, helped me workshop some early scenes where I was bringing in uh, one of the characters who who was indigenous, and, and, you
0: know, we just went from there, step by step. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of, like, writing across race and, like, my experience with this book is probably very different than a, a you know, a, a black person, an indigenous person, a person with heritage based in slavery in one way or another. Like, um, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania. So, and, and then my partner grew up in the South and like even our relationship, uh, like it's just interesting how like race was taught to us, how slavery was taught to us in like the same country, but, you know, a thousand miles apart. Um, right. This is a loaded question and, and maybe we, uh, maybe I'll cut this, maybe we'll, we'll see. But like you mentioned, you live in upstate New York. Now you're in upstate New York. Now, do you, do you see a difference between how American Canada handles their past with slavery, their relationship with indigenous people, with different races? Do, do, is there a major difference between the two countries? Do you think? In my experience? No,
1: there's not a major difference. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there are nuances in terms of, you know, We've, you know, we've had different, slightly different histories or reckonings mm-hmm. with race. Yep. So you can see things like terminology isn't always the same around mm-hmm. blackness, around indigeneity uh, in the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, you see in Canada now, in this current moment, a lot of reckoning with, uh, you know, the history of residential schools in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see you know, so there's like there there is that, but by and large I, I I tend to think of it as a lot more, and I'm not an expert on this, mm-hmm. so this is just my conjecture, but I tend to think of it as a lot more influenced by demographics than anything, you know, the numbers mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot fewer percentage wise black folks in Canada than there are in the yeah. u s you know who are like it's a very small percentage in Canada and there are more indigenous folks in Canada than there are black folks. So you see a little bit more public discourse about that. I think that's why mm-hmm. um, versus in the U S you see a more public discourse about blackness. And uh, I think it comes down, down to the numbers game. You know, at, at a certain point I was doing some research on, on the statistics of stuff like uh, incarceration rates, you know, percentage yeah. wise, you know, blacks and indigenous people, among others, are are overrepresented in, in in the prison system to almost the exact same rate in both countries. You know, so <clears throat> it's it's nuanced, but yeah, I don't see uh I don't see a huge uh, difference in the way that the two nations uh, deal deal with race. No. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's something I've been curious a lot more about because I think Americans. Like for the longest time, and maybe still, still, the joke is like, "Oh, Canada's so safe and friendly. There's no crime. There's like you know, that's like a not, not yeah, like a meme almost." And it's like, no, sure. Canada's a nuanced country that you know deals with homophobia, deals with racism, deals with crime, yeah. deals with everything. Um,
1: right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's part of why you know investigating these these moments was important because I feel like part of how those uh Misconceptions are built is be is because we really uplift mm-hmm. narratives such as the Underground Railroad, right? That's like a defining uh, narrative for 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 a lot of Canadian, for a lot of Liberal Canadians. Mm-hmm. It's not that I, I don't think it shouldn't be, uh, but I just think it's you know you gotta uh, you you can't always pick and choose. You know what what defines your. Your identity, you know, it's, it's some things have, have happened and you got to reckon with them, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll let you go on. Are you are you reading anything? Are you want to read anything in 2023? What's on your radar? What have you read recently? It's,
1: it's interesting because
0: while I was writing the book, I was very, very intentional about not reading anything
1: mm-hmm. similar. Now that it's coming out, I've been reading everything similar. So... Yeah. No, I got a lot of recommendations. I've been reading um, Nathan Harris's book, uh, about "Sweetness of Water." Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, a lot of things in kind of a similar genre, historical fiction. "Sweetness of Water" is awesome. He's a great yeah. writer. Uh, love it. Uh, I've read uh, "She Would Be King" by Yuyutu Moore recently. Mm-hmm. That was really awesome as well. Very strange. Very yeah. Uh, yeah fantastical but also just dark and a really good reckoning with you know that period of time and in some locations that i haven't really seen represented before um another one that i'm uh that i've just started is uh, the novel uh, slave old man slave by patrick Chamoiseau. Mm. Um, he's a martinican author really well known and respected in the french speaking world less so in english but the translation to his work to this work is really good
0: i want to thank kai thomas for joining the day beautiful podcast to talk about his debut novel in the upper country it is out now you can get it you can't find him on the internet but you can find Day beautiful at day and on all social media at day beautiful Please subscribe to the podcast and share and like. Uh, This is going to be a big year for us, so I want to thank you all for listening. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.